welcome back to the back porch. We have your co-host, Matthew Trollinger. How's it going? And your other co-host, Cruz Chavez. You getting excited, Cruz? Dude, it's school season. And you're looking at your new U.S. history teacher over here. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, it's crazy because I would have never pictured myself as a teacher. I would have never pictured myself as a youth pastor. And so I just feel like ever since I've come to Inola, I'm just doing some crazy off-the-wall things over here. (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, the, the Lord has opened doors and established these, you know, these steps in my life, so... I can just say that I'm blessed. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited. Dude, you know what's funny? So I told you I saw Ryan the other day, right? Yes. He was telling me, which I didn't know this, that he was like trying to get you to come to the bank for a long time. And then he finally convinced you, and you went and applied, and he said you guys got to work together for like three days. Yep. And then he got transferred. That's his fault. I blame him for that. That's your fault. <laughs> you had like two years to apply. <laughs> I know, I know. Well, I was doing... I was doing insurance, and I was doing pretty well in insurance. So I, I didn't feel like I needed to leave. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. But, yeah, no, it's just, it's just where we were. It's where I was. I was just fairly new to, in marriage. Um, wasn't quite there at the porch just yet. I just graduated college. Um, so I was still in a new phase in my life. Mm-hmm. So him, he, he jumped right in and... He he immediately worked at the bank. Um, I immediately worked for the insurance company. It's just how the dominoes fell. Yeah. But no, I remember him quite a bit trying to get me to come over. <laughs> I just thought that was funny when he told me that the other day, and I was like, man, and now he's already on to a new adventure. I know, man. It's it's crazy. I I actually called him, or we, we hung out on Saturday, and I and I told him, I said, dude, I don't know what in the world I just did. <laughs> I just left the bank. It was a very secure job. It was, you know, everything was easy. I honestly didn't realize how easy I had it until now I'm working for the school and I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to lesson plan. I have to memorize all these kids' names. And there's like seven classes worth of students. And I'm like, oh my goodness, my schedule is going to be crazy. Yeah, it's going to be a big change. Yeah. It's not as laid back as you had it before. <laughs> Dude, I commend those teachers who do it every year. Like, I get, p- people go back and forth on the whole teaching thing, and I and I haven't been there long enough, so I can't really speak for teachers. Um, but, I mean, they still get breaks, like summer summer break and Christmas break and Thanksgiving. Uh, but, dude, those are very much needed, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, I'm sure they are. But it'll be it'll be worth it once you get there. Yeah, and be like, man, I got a whole week off. I didn't have to use any vacation time or nothing. Right, right. I'm just off. Yeah, that'd be cool. And then the summer. Yep. Get a long time off, dude. Well, I think for the most part, even with the summer, and this is for all those who are listening. I'm self promoting here. I'm starting to build tables. I've got my first table almost built. I'm gonna try and sell it on Facebook Market. So if anyone out there needs a table, you know, a fancy looking table, hit me up. I'm 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 in the market. How so. close are you to being done with it? Um I I my plan was to finish it today. Oh really? But I didn't realize I would get out out of out of the school till seven and then we still needed to record, so no worries, no no worries at all. So I'll I'll Heck finish yeah. it tomorrow or finish it sometime next this week or something like that. Yeah. I don't know. 
That'd be good. What's new with you? Just working. Trying to stay out of this heat. Yeah. Finally cooled off a little bit this week. Yeah. Trying to take advantage of that. The bad thing, though, is when it cools off, we don't get off early anymore. That's true. We'll go back to working all the way till 4.30. But like you said, it's cooler. Yeah, that's true. It's not too bad. Yeah. It's what we're supposed to work anyway, so I can't... Oh, Matthew, you got to actually work. (laughs) (laughs) I know you're feeling the same pain as me now. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Things are good. Things are good. Um... So for those of you who are still with, still tuning in with us and have been since we started Timothy, um, this week we're jumping into chapter three. Chapter three is pretty interesting um, because this is this is like a command for specific people in the church. I feel like most of the time Paul usually addresses his letters to the church as an entire whole. Um, occasionally, he will. He will address certain people in the church or in a house church. He talked about Philemon, and so he pointed out Philemon and his family and Onesimus. Um, rarely does he do that, but uh, this time he addresses the qualifications for overseers and deacons. Um, and I think it's important that he does because it mm-hmm. kind of gives us um, black and white, a black and white, you know, picture of. Okay, this is what God is looking for, and this is what He's not looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, and not necessarily that it's not what He's looking for. It's just more like um, because He knows what ministry uh, like requires. He knows what it, in, it what what it entails, and so He wouldn't put someone in the role like in leadership role as an overseer or as a deacon who's not quite ready for it. Mm-hmm. And so I, th- I feel like that's why he goes into this. And especially for, for Timothy. I mean, Timothy is, again, he's this young kid. Um, he's like 20-something years old, this young pastor. Like he doesn't, he himself doesn't have all that much experience. So it's like how, he, how would he know who is, you know, right for the job? Right. So... Paul kind of helps him out here, gives him some guidelines and some some guidance here. But we can just go ahead and jump into it unless you have something else you want to add. Just dive in. Okay. I'll just read the first portion and then you can read the second. Okay. Starting in verse 1. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be approve, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, but must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive, for if someone does not know how to manage their own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or may, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well, well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Boom. So, what I kind of get from that, what I wrote down was uh, 
qualifications that Paul gives all show a man of good character. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Yeah. Because it's, it's kind of interesting to me, like, breaking them down and kind of looking at each thing that he's looking for in an overseer. And it just all is kind of roles that I feel like a leader is supposed to take. Yeah. I I completely agree with that. I think um, I believe that should be every man in the church, kind of going the direction that you're you're thinking about here. Mm-hmm. This should be a description of every man in the church who they probably shouldn't aspire to be an overseer, because I don't believe every man feels the same calling to be a pastor or a youth pastor or be a leader as a small group leader or worship leader. Um, but I can see every man having these qualifications. Right. We should all want to have this character and fill like fill all of these qualifications, whether that's what we're going to be or not. Yeah. Like not just to become an overseeker, but like just to be a, a good person in general. Good that's a really good. Man. That's a really good perspective, actually. Just because I never even thought of that. Yeah, I hadn't either. <laughs> <laughs> and you said it. <laughs> I know, <laughs> but it's true. I mean, uh, the one, the next thing I wrote down was about the husband of one wife. Because I did like some research on that. Because I know that's kind of like a controversial thing, depending on what denomination you belong to. What are your thoughts on that? What do you think it means by that? Um, I think definitely during that time and not... I think even during this time, it depends more so on region, like where you live. Um, I think more so in like Arizona um, and places more up north, you see a lot of Mormon um belief mm-hmm. mormonism and they fully believe like they i think they believe parts of the scripture and they take certain parts out of the, out of the bible and they follow that but they believe that it's okay to have multiple wives yeah and that's how it was in this time too that polygamy was still like a big thing yeah and uh but i see a lot of churches today that like will not give someone that leadership role if they've been, like, divorced. So that's why I was kind of curious how you took that, because I read one one article I read uh, I thought was kind of neat. They said, um, concerning the one-wife deal, they said the idea is that he's a one-woman kind of man, devoted to one woman and faithful to that woman. Not so much, like, which makes sense because we're talking, I mean, all these things we're listing are describing a character of someone. Yeah. So that kind of would go more along with a character, like you're a one-woman kind of guy. Like you're devoted to one woman? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it could be taken in both aspects, whether it's like polygamy. Um, and I felt like my mind went there first just because there were just thinking of the Old Testament, there were several people in the Old Testament who had multiple wives. Mm-hmm. And that's the reason why Mormons believe it's okay because, you know, 
King Solomon had multiple wives. So if he had multiple wives, then it must be okay. Um, but then, but then thinking in terms of someone being divorced, it's kind of hard to say. I'm not going to lie. I, I think God, God can use anyone and everyone. Um, I can't say if he's specifically directing this towards people who have been married multiple times. Mm-hmm. Um, whether they've been married once, divorced, and now they have a second, or you know they divorced twice and have now have a third wife. Mm-hmm. It's kind of hard for me to say that. The reason why I say that is because divorce rates in America are so high. And um, not saying that there aren't divorced men, or so, not saying that there are faithful men who've been married and and have had long successful marriages. I'm not saying that they're not out there. I just feel like because we live in a country where their like divorce rates are so high that like God uses all kinds of people that more than likely there's someone out there in the church who's serving as an overseer. Which which by the way, do you have a definition of what an overseer is? Um I'll- from everything I read, and in the King James Version, it's referred to as a bishop. Okay. Because we had talked about that at House Church a couple weeks ago, too, because it's we were a little bit confused because like me and Eric both went to... We grew up in a Methodist church, and an overseer in the Methodist church is kind of different. Yes. Because they're, they're the person who like places a pastor at different churches and moves them around. So it looks a lot different, I think, than what's considered an overseer right here, which is also a bishop. Yes. So just did a quick Google search. Uh, Bishops exist in the church, uh, in a church hierarchy above the level of pastors and priests. Um, They provide administrative supervision, theological guidance, and moral foundations for the many local churches under their oversight. So these are basically like the like board members, so to speak, mm. for, for people who, I guess, don't really know what a bishop is. It's like if, you, if you're part of, part of a company or if you're a teacher now, you have board members. Mm-hmm. Um, people who are not necessarily, they don't necessarily, some of them do work for the company, but they may not necessarily, you know, work for the company. I think this can be people who are not just in the church, but oversee several churches and their bishops. I think more common you see people who are bishops who actually participate in the church, kind of like what you're talking about. Um, I've seen that too, where you go to that church and now your pastor deems you as a bishop. Mm-hmm. Um but I think it can, from a grander, grander scale, it can be bigger than that. Um, but just for the sake of keeping it simple, they provide administrative supervision, theological guidance, and moral foundations. Um, they, it's, from my perspective, it seems like they're there to help the pastor. You know, mm-hmm. whether like like if a pastor, it's really hard to explain. Because I wouldn't even say, I almost want to say he's there to help the pastor um, with spiritual guidance and with his sermon preps and stuff like that. But at the same time, I don't think 
that's what TJ would use a bishop for. Right. I, I feel like it just looks a lot different today. Yeah. Like bishops aren't near as common, I don't think, in the church today as they were then. Because the way you just defined it, I would say Paul would have been like a bishop to Timothy because yeah. he was giving him spiritual guidance. That's what this whole book's about. Yeah. But the other thing I wrote about the, the one wife deal, while we were still on that, um, the reason I think that it's referring more to like a character of like how you act towards women is because like if it was saying you had you had to be a husband of a wife, then we couldn't even say that Paul would meet these qualifications. We couldn't right. say Jesus meets these qualifications because they were never married. Yeah, it's e- I can see how people may you know twist that um, into thinking like you have to have one wife. I can see I can see that. Um, yeah, no, I I think for sure that's not a that's not a thing that you have to have, um, because even Paul addresses the fact that he addresses the fact that some, he wishes that some people would not even marry at all. Mm-hmm. But he knows that for men, for some men, and maybe for some women, like they just want to have sex and they can't control that desire. And maybe it's not even that. Maybe it's like they want babies. You know, they 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 have this passion to to bear a child and feed and raise children, and you can't have that if you're mar- if you're single. You can't have that if you don't have um, marriage. Mm-hmm. And so, Paul in the past he's he's mentioned like he wishes that the church would be single and remain as he is, but that's not a it's not a sin to get married. And right. It's not a sin, but if you do get married, he's saying, but if you if you have these passions, then get married, right? Get mm-hmm. married, have kids, you know, have a family, but just be married to just one woman. Yeah. And, you know. Don't have 700 wives. Right. You don't need 700 headaches. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good one. <laughs> uh, what's the next one? Sober-minded, that's important. Have a clear head. You don't want to have clouded thoughts while you're, you know, trying to trying to give out guidance to the man who's giving guidance to all the believers if you're not thinking straight. Yeah. I agree with that. That, one's, that one seems pretty straightforward. Um, self-controlled and respectable. Um... With self-control, I think for sure there, there are times, even in my life, um, where it can be tough to have self-control. It just depends on the the, um, the kind of people that, that you're surrounded by. Mm-hmm. Um, what I've noticed as a, as a guy who went off, to, went off to college, like when you're around your friends, they tend to, you know, steer you in different directions. Right. And there have been times where I've left my friend group or I've left like a setting where I'm hanging out with the guys and I'm like, I shouldn't have said half the things that I said tonight Mm -hmm. or I shouldn't have done half the things that I did tonight. And it's just because I get carried away. And so I think as part as like having self-controlled, like that kind of correlates with being respectable. Like you can't really have this TJ and I talked about it the other day. Um, like if you go out 
if you try to try to quote unquote get away, like as a pastor, you can't really have like a getaway moment where you're alone and and think that no one's watching. Um, even with your when you're when you're with even when you're with your wife in a different state or whatever, like there have been so many times where I'm just using TJ as an example, where he's ran into someone at an airport that he knows from Inola or that he knows from somewhere down you know his his life, mm-hmm. um, and so being respectable in a way where you're both you're representing both the church off and on campus. Right. And so you just can't live this double, double-sided double life. Yeah, you can't live the Sunday life on Sunday and then turn around and live a completely different life come Monday. Yes. And I think what what's really bad about this generation, not really bad, but I don't know. It's kind of hard to word it here. But I think one one thing that is really, really bad is that we have social media right now. And you can do one thing on social media. And if a friend or someone posts that on their story or on their, like they post it on their Instagram page or their Facebook or they're tweeting about it, like, boom, people know immediately what's going on. Mm -hmm. And if you're hanging out with that friend group, it can be real quick that your life turned, you know, is turned upside down. Yeah, because then then you become associated with it no matter what. Yeah, and that's how people view you. Mm-hmm. We had that talk today during our little meeting this morning. Um, the principal was just addressing the fact that because we have Facebook or because we have you know whatever, um, he was using it in terms of like tweeting. Um, it can be real easy to put your thoughts out there. And to get angry and frustrated and want to lash out at someone on on social media, but that's public. Mm-hmm. Like dozens of people see that, if not hundreds. And yeah, millions. all your students can see that. All your students' parents can see yeah. that. Yeah, your coworkers. Once everybody. it's out there, it, you can't take that back. Yeah. And so I just think it's like both of those things go hand in hand. Like being self-controlled, knowing that there's no, there's not a such thing. Especially if you're in ministry, there's not a such thing. There's no such thing as just getting away, expecting or thinking that no one's watching, no one's around, because the truth is you never know who's watching. Mm-hmm. And even if it's, even if no one is around, but there's you know, or at least no one that you know, but there's that one person that that may ask you, hey, like what what do you do for a living, or what do you know. Who are you? Where, where'd you come from? Now you're having to say, well, I'm a youth pastor. After you just took like two or three shots with the guy. You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? Like it's just awkward. Mm-hmm. And you just kind of hinder your, you hinder your, um, your fellowship and you hinder your, you know, your ability to share the gospel. Right. So being respectable and having self-control. Then we got hospitable and able to teach. I think this one's kind of cool. Because hospitality would be like opening up your house, like welcoming people in. Yes. And that goes along with able to teach to me because we do house church still. Yes. So that like they go hand in hand of someone who's willing to open up their house and invite people in and are also able to teach within that. I think that's just cool how how well those two flow together. They also. definitely do. I, and 
I think there's a lot more. There's a you see this a lot in especially in our church, just because we're big on house churches. Um, you see this quite a bit actually, probably in most churches. But um, because I go to the porch, I know this for a fact. Um, people are are quick to open their house to you for house church, mm-hmm. and they're quick to invite you. And like if you come to our house church, we have Dr Pepper, we have Lacroix, which people most people hate Lacroix, right? Yeah. My, <laughs> my father-in-law told me the other day, he was like, you must hate me because you had Dr. Pepper in your fridge, yet you offered me LaCroix. <laughs> I would hate you too if you offered me that. <laughs> so I'm just like, my bad, my bad. But the my point is, like most house churches, they should be be open to not just opening their home but like genuinely caring for you to the point where it's like, do you need a place to stay? Do you, you know, are you thirsty? Are you hungry? And I feel like for me and Jenna, we've opened our, our, we have a spare, we have a guest room. And if you or Montana needed a place to crash or whatever, like you guys are more than welcome to stay there. Mm -hmm. And you guys have even offered us before. Yeah. I think we actually even stayed there once. Really? I think so. I don't remember why, but I'm pretty sure we stayed it. In wouldn't, that room before. Would not, would not doubt it. So I appreciate you being a hospitable cruise. I try. I try. <laughs> uh, not a drunkard. That one's pretty plain Jane, I think. Yeah. What's interesting about this is because, um, so it says to not be a drunkard, but yet before that it also talks about being sober-minded. Mm-hmm. You would almost think th- those two are the same thing. Not a drunkard, and then also being sober-minded. Well, I think sober-minded also goes beyond that. I think that's kind of referring to like anything that can cloud your mind, like your thoughts even, of like keeping, keeping your mind focused on where it needs to be. So like fear? Yeah, it could be fear, temptation, you know, anything that, that clouds... Your mind okay. that keeps you off track. Okay. But also, I mean, being drunk, that definitely it's not sober minded. Absolutely. <laughs> no, I, yeah. And then not violent, but gentle. That it's kind of like all of these go together. Like you read two, they kind of go together. Yeah. You read two, they go together. Because a lot of people, drunkards, can get violent. They're not gentle. They're confrontational. Even if they're not mean or aggressive, you know, like they're not gentle and then quarrelsome. Like that's easy to start quarrels too whenever you're drinking and not in your sober mind. Yeah. I think um, we were just talking about this this past Sunday at House Church as far as quarrelsome. Um, I think oftentimes we've... I see it more often now just because I follow a lot of like um, church pages or I follow a lot of pastors who like put their sermons online or put little snippets of their sermons on Instagram. But I feel like sometimes there are pastors who say certain things because they don't care about the impact or they don't care about the weight of the words that they use. Mm-hmm. And I feel like there should be a good balance. There should be a good balance of you caring of like what you're saying, but also at the same time not caring. 
Yeah, and I think there's a fine line there for sure between like not just avoiding touchy subjects because that's still like there's a lot of stuff in the Bible that some preachers will just completely stay away from. And I like when preachers are willing to speak on those things. But like you said, not there's still you got to have some kind of care there still. Like some yeah. people take it to the other extreme. And there's even preachers I listen to that I know you listen to also yeah. that were probably thinking the same one. Probably thinking the same <laughs> one and he doesn't care. Yeah. Yeah. But I I don't I don't know. I just think that too often times people are petty and they can you know, go off, go off on a little rant or a little tantrum, and they just say whatever because they know it's going to make the enemy upset, mm-hmm. basically. And I'm not for that. Like, yeah. I, I don't want to intentionally make someone mad. Um, I think if if I'm preaching the gospel and someone being angry is a byproduct of me preaching the gospel, that's on them. It wasn't because I said something to intentionally make them angry. Right. I feel like when when we get to heaven, God's going to look at our heart and is going to say, Cruz, like, I love the fact that you're preaching the gospel. Even Paul talks about it. Um, I think he talks about it in the book of Ephesians, where he's like, some people preach, maybe it's in First Timothy. Some people preach the gospel out of love and joy and peace, and then the others preach the gospel out of anger and, and, and envy and violence. Mm-hmm. And he says... And he said he'd rather not that, that they preach the gospel in violence and anger, but nonetheless, the gospel is still being shared. And so he addresses that, and we see that today. And I think when we get to heaven, God's going to, or Jesus is going to say, Cruz, no, I'm not saying that, I'm just using it as an example, but um, Cruz, I know that you were preaching the gospel, and I love the fact that you're preaching the gospel, but the fact that you're doing it with the intention because you hate you hated this particular group and you're just trying to make them angry. Right. That's not a pure heart. Mm-hmm. There's nothing pure about that. That's that's evil, but you're preaching the gospel from an angry, unpure, unrighteous heart. Yeah. And so I just feel like those those do not go hand in hand. Yeah, and I I feel like I see that a lot today of people don't necessarily like Christians because we have this stereotype of being judgmental. Yeah. And I think that's where that comes from because I feel like a lot of people in their mind, they're sharing the word, they're sharing the gospel, but they're not doing it from a place of love. They're doing it from a place of hatred. Yeah. And then it comes across judgmental instead of loving. Yeah. Yeah. What's that? What's that passage where it's like without without love, you're just a noisy gong? Yeah. You're just a, you know, if you serve and do all these things and you do it without love, then it's all like it's just pointless. Mm-hmm. Like you're just doing, like, yeah, it's a good thing that you're doing, but there's no true meaning behind it. But like showing up to church and just taking a nap the whole time. Right. Like, yeah, you showed up to church, but, but you just what, checked it, off the box. Yeah. There was no depth to it. Yeah. Okay. Um, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. 
Um, he mentions that quite a bit, and even later in the later chapter, because we're as a house church. Have we gone over that? Yeah, we're a, we're a few chapters ahead in house yeah. church. So, as a house church, we've discussed. Paul mentions basically he mentions the fact that there are people even in his church during this church time that there are people who are just a lover of money and they would they would go out of their way to show their wealth. And I think that's the that's the key there. Mm-hmm. Because I don't want to put this perception in people's minds that having wealth is bad. Having wealth is not bad. It's just what people do with it and what money does to them that makes them bad. Right. Like in chapter, I think it was chapter two, it might have been chapter one, but we talked about uh, like the women, the way they were dressing was they were dressing to show their status of wealth. Yes. They weren't using their wealth for good, they were using it to be boastful. Yes. I mean, you look at, you look at the book of Luke, and Luke addresses, it, addresses this guy named Theophilus. He addresses this guy, Theophilus, quite a bit. I mean, he's the very first person that he mentions in his chapters. It's the book of Luke. Um, let me see here. Yeah. In the gospel according to Luke, literally it says dedication to Theophilus. And he, he writes this passage and it's just to Theophilus. And he does the exact same thing in like the book of Acts or something like that. Well, Theophilus was this really wealthy guy. And he funded Luke's ministry. The ministry of, okay, go and prove that Jesus is real. Go and prove that um, everything that Christ did, you know, was true. The walking on water, the turning water into wine, the healing the paralyzed, the, the you know, bringing Lazarus back from the dead. Like, go and prove all these things. Like, Luke had to leave his day job as a, as a doctor to go and pursue this. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it wasn't free. And so he had met this super wealthy guy who funded his ministry. And so we can see that wealth is used for good, actually. Mm-hmm. And even later on, Paul addresses it again. He's like, use your money, like use it for righteousness. Use, you know, be, be ready to give, basically. And I think for a lot of us, we were just talking about this on Sunday, that most Americans, you would not be considered poor. You would not be considered you know, impoverished, because you go to a third world country and you see what true poverty is. Um, Just this morning, TJ was talking about whenever he um, went to Ethiopia one year and he was putting in, he was putting in wire and putting in like outlets and stuff. And um, they put, they wired, they wired the learning village, but then there were certain places like, uh, um, with like mud mud homes that wanted these outlets too, and so they would they would wire these houses with these outlets, and they told them like TJ told the families like hey when you're done using this unplug it because it's gonna charge you like a penny or two pennies every month. Well, it got to like two or three houses in, and people like word got around and basically. 
people didn't want these outlets anymore. <laughs> they just rather would go without electricity, basically. And my point is that poverty we have we haven't even seen poverty mm-hmm. here 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 in the states. Like there are probably more homeless people who have access to phones and uh, you know food and yes they don't have they don't have a house to sleep in and to stay in. But my point is that there are people in third world countries where, dude, like that's true poverty mm-hmm. and being, being willing to give and being ready to give. And so just, um, my point is, I guess, is that we can't just, we have to be good stewards of our money. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it's not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well. I like that one because, I mean, like it says in verse 5, for if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? So if you can't be a leader in your own house to just your small little family, like how how are you going to take this leadership role to be over a church? Yeah. Like this, I mean, it sounds strict, but it should because this is a pretty high up position to be in like it's not just the head of the household anymore now right. you're you're taking head over lots of households you like you're you're putting yourself in charge of making sure people are are hearing the right doctrine and not teaching these false teachings and stuff yeah he must not be a recent convert or he may be become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Um, again, I think there are there are times when some churches are probably too quick to assign leadership to new converts. Mm-hmm. And even if it's not a new convert, let's just say a new convert is someone who was saved yesterday or a couple months ago. But I think even people who who are you know, a year or two years into their faith, I don't even think that sometimes they're not quite ready. Like, depending on, depending on your spirituality, I think God can, can enlighten your, enlighten you and give you more wisdom. And I think that is possible for you to, to acquire leadership and take on leadership. But I don't think we should be too hasty to start aligning, assigning leadership out. Mm-hmm. Especially if, to a kid or to a young couple who are probably not quite ready to take on that leadership. Yeah. Yeah, I agree because, I mean, I've been a Christian ever since I was a little kid and grown up in church. But up until maybe the last year is when I finally, you know, kind of felt like, okay, maybe I would be ready to do something like this. Maybe I, like now I feel comfortable, like, leading our house church on Sundays. But a year ago, even though I've been I even though I wasn't a recent convert, I still don't feel like I was ready. Yeah. I wasn't spiritually mature enough. And this just makes me think of back when we talked about the four fields back in Mark of the field uh with no roots that the sun just came and scorched up the seed. I feel like that's kind of the same thing here of like on the top, it might look good. Like, you got into this, you're on fire for God, you're ready to go. 
but there's no root there. There's no foundation. Yeah. And that's easy for the devil to attack if there's no foundation to stand on. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. The next verse. Um, Moreover, he must be well, well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Um, I feel like we've kind of covered that too. Yeah, I think that's kind of just him summing it up. Basically saying like a man of good character. Yes. Who's thought of well. Yes. Which if you have all of these qualifications, you're probably somebody who's thought of well. Yes. So that leads us to qualifications for deacons. You want to read that for us? Yeah. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves, and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Okay. So just to kind of give a quick um, definition of what a deacon is, we've, we've discussed what a overseer is. So to be a deacon, um, he's a man who wants to serve. He wants to help help when the people of God are hurting, and he wants to be, be aid to them. Um, and another, another definition is by protecting the church unity, organizing practical service, and meeting tangible needs. So this seems like more of the hands-on kind of guy. Yeah, they're the, like the servants within the church. Yes. So the an overseer is more of like administrator slash uh, deep theological um, like guidance to the pastor and to other leaders in the church. And then the deacon is more, like you said, hands-on, help like a shoulder, uh, a shoulder, you know, for someone who who needs to you know lean on. Um, almost like a spiritual mentor to that's available to the entire church. Mm-hmm. So he goes into talking about qualifications for the deacons, and honestly, you can kind of see a lot of similarities between the overseers and the deacons. Yeah, they're very similar. And I think just going back to your original uh, initial statement that like this should be a qualification for all men in the church, like. If we were to look at all the men that go to the porch or that go to every church, we should be able to fit these, like these descriptions, mm-hmm. or they should be able to apply to our lives. Right. Uh, I was going to ask you on verse 10 where it says, let them also be tested first. Do you know what that means? Let them all be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. I think that's the key right there. Prove themselves blameless. I think there are times when um, we need to see the fruit from our life. Like, can I actually see? Like, I hear that you're a Christian, but can I actually see that you're a Christian? Mm-hmm. Uh, Jesus talks about this um, that we produce fruit in our lives, that you can tell a false teacher by the fruit that they produce in their life. I'm a full believer, firm believer, that I can tell if I hang out with you for an entire day, 
I can tell pretty quickly where you are in your faith. I'm not going to dismiss your faith, but I can tell whether you're not you're spiritually strong or you need just a little bit more time, more mentorship, more guidance. Mm-hmm. Um, I can tell you for about half the boys in the porch, like they go to church on Wednesday night, they still need some guidance. <laughs> yeah. Yes, without a doubt. So, but then there are others. There are others in the church, other guys in the church that are maybe just some of the older ones or even the younger ones that might be, you know, spiritually mature. And I can just tell a huge difference just by the things, by their actions, like being quick to serve, um, being being always available when, when I need something, um, wanting to get more involved in ministry, wanting to be there every Wednesday and and be at every camp and, and like that whole thing. And so I just, I can see the fruit from your life. And I think he's saying, like, I need to see that. Mm-hmm. Like whenever whenever he's testing them, it, it's more of like, uh, can I see this in your life? Yeah, that makes sense. But yeah, other than that, they're pretty much all the same qualifications of overseer. Do you have any other things in that section? No. I really. feel like it's pretty straightforward. It's pretty much the same. Yes. And so just to wrap this this up, um, picking up in verse 14, he says, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know that, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar of buttress of the truth, Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He ha- he was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Again, I, I just feel like that last portion, um, Paul wrote these things down for Timothy to come back to. Like it, it, it's like a Sunday morning sermon. I can't listen to any preacher speak and expect and them expect me to memorize everything they said. Mm. But if I go back and listen to their recording, I can go back to it anytime that I want. And that's what Paul is doing. Like he wrote these things down for the church to come back to. And on top of that, he says, if I delay, like Paul's in a place where he's not sure if he's going to get out of jail. Mm-hmm. He's not sure when he's going to get out of jail, and so he's just kind of, everything's kind of up in the air. But he he's not going to he's not going to wait till he gets out of jail to address these issues. Right. He had all these things ready and in place. Yeah. And no matter what happens, like you've got this, and has I mean, literally says right there the whole reason for why he wrote this book. Yeah. I think. Just to kind of try to imply this to my life, this is probably not even spot on or doesn't probably completely correlate with this. But I think at times I've told myself I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna do something, but I'm gonna wait till the timing is right, even though it could get done right then, or even though it needs to happen right then. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of make up these excuses on why not to why I shouldn't do it. But I think if I were to just trust the Lord's going to provide no matter what and go forward with it, 
I, I, I really believe God can bless that. And so Paul, um, like Paul is just saying, let's, I'm not going to wait. I'm just going to go ahead and, and write this now, write this to you now. Mm-hmm. And this is for your benefit. This is for you. This is for, for Jesus, for God is for the church. Because, you know, I think he realizes he's not going to be there for everything. Right. You got anything else on that? No. That is pretty much it. This is kind of a shorter a shorter passage, um, pretty straightforward, but there's still a lot of truth. I think at times um, we can look at, we can read scripture and feel like we didn't really pull much from it, but then at, then at the same time, like I will go back and watch or listen to someone else's sermon and I, and they pick that thing apart and it's like oh my gosh i would have never <laughs> i would have never like got that from that passage yeah i do that all the time even just us having conversation i feel like i would just read over stuff all the time that i'm like hey crew's caught something in there that i just yeah. read right over and didn't even notice it yeah so i i really appreciate moments like these and i appreciate pastors who elaborate that's one that's one benefit for me as a pastor, as a youth pastor, that's it, a benefit for me that other pastors have already covered these topics and I can go and watch them or I can go and listen to them. Mm-hmm. And same thing with Timothy and Paul and John and Peter and Jesus and James. And I can go back and reference their letters and say, okay, is this what they, was this what they meant? Mm-hmm. And so I don't know. It's good stuff. Good stuff. Real good stuff. So that's all I got. You have anything else you want to add? No. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. As always, if you guys have any questions, you are more than welcome to reach out to us through Facebook or Instagram or um, even through the podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcast. Um, we're here for you. So if you don't have anything now, I guess we'll see you next week. Adios. Adios.